Welcome to the Synaxis Podcast. A Synaxis is a liturgical gathering. It can also refer to an unveiling event. The Synaxis Podcast is a weekly gathering hosted by yours truly, Scott Jones, for the purpose of finding the life-giving healing word of the gospel and the words of the weekly lectionary passages. Join myself and a guest each week as we explore the lectionary text together. This is the place for gospel-rich, grace-saturated, and a properly worldly lens on the week's lectionary passages, all in 25 minutes or less. My guest is Jeff Holsclaw. He has a PhD in theology from Marquette University and is pastor at Vineyard North Church in Grand Rapids, Michigan. He's an affiliate professor of theology at Northern Seminary and the co-author, along with his wife, of Does God Really Like Me? Discovering the God Who Wants to Be With Us. I give you Jeff Holsclaw. Jeff, welcome back to the podcast, and this is the time in the podcast where we shamelessly promote books. So let's shamelessly <laughs> promote it. We only shameless, shamelessly promote the Bible, the Word of the Living God, right, Scott? Am I that's right? That's what we're about. That's that's exactly what we're but about. But hey, look, you do you quote the Bible in that book? Yes. Well, yes, there we, we go. There yes, we, we go. Do. And you're promoting the Bible. Yeah, yeah. Well, thanks for you're having me on. not saying like trouble. Like, look, it's a great book. Not as good as the Bible, but number two, out of the deal, Tide is, does God like us? Are you sure it's not more like, actually, uh, I updated, I upgraded. It's better. It's more, it's clearer. It's more clearer. It's very clear, very strongly. This book very strongly promotes, it very strongly promotes scripture. Yeah, it's interesting. Like, I've never met or seen somebody or engaged or listened to somebody in popular culture that uses adverbs more than Donald Trump. It's a a very bad writing style. All the writing manuals. So speaking of writing, you know, since I did just write a book, write a book, they always say, don't use adverbs. If you can't just describe what you're doing or what you're experiencing and you got to use adverbs, you're a bad writer. So you're advocating for your book very strongly. Anyways, very, very, very good. Anyway, so how's the book doing? So, Yes, thank you for asking. Our, our book that I wrote with my wife uh, is called "Does God Really Like Me?" Discovering the God Who Wants to Be with Us. Uh, I don't know how it's doing. I think it's doing well. The Amazon rankings, whatever. Um, we're getting great feedback, reviews, people. Yeah, it's really. It is really a book. It's like a covert biblical theology of God's presence to help people read the Bible differently, so that it focuses not on the sin problem, but rather on the presence problem. We kind of talk about how the main story of the Bible is really how do we regain God's presence, or how, yeah. rather, how is God giving His presence to us at all times? Certainly, you have to deal with the sin problem. But some people just read their Bibles like, "Oh, there's the sin problem. Oh, there it is again. And all the people are sinning, and God's really angry about sin. What's God going to do about sin?" Certainly, that's there, but I don't think that's the main problem. So we wrote this book. It's very popular. We tried to put the goods on the lowest shelf. So, but I'm glad it. to be here talking about the lectionary because I love talking about the Bible. You're a biblical guy. He believes in the Bible very strongly. (laughs) So Malachi 3, here we go. Thus says the Lord, sending my messenger to prepare the way before me. Here, you know, um, but also he's like a refiner's fire. Here we have something that seems like a um, precursor to John, you know, like, uh, you know, we're an epiphany. So this is a tough text. I mean, this is a text that is talking about the one who's the messenger of the covenant. Or maybe it's about Jesus, or maybe it's about who knows what. What do you think here, buddy? Well, it, well, I was looking at this text, and I was thinking it's hard in this uh, format to always be talking about the Old Testament 
passage first because you know because no one preaches on it well no no but as christians we read it you know with the christological kind of lens uh and so i was thinking the same thing i was like well the you know verse one sounds like it's talking about john but then the lord whom you seek will suddenly come to the temple and this is about the presentation this week is you know the presentation of jesus at the temple and simeon and anna you know so then it's like oh it's not it's not john it's actually the lord and so it, it seems to me to be shifting you know kind of like the servant passages in isaiah you know it's like who who is Who's being talked about here? Who is the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight? Um, the Lord of hosts and all these types of things. So it's, 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 it's shifty. It's, there's a lot of shifting here. It's a moving yeah. target. Yeah, it's interesting too, because is it in Second Peter where Peter talks about how all these texts are, the prophets didn't know what they were talking about, but they're all fulfilled in Christ. And like, that's a beautiful thing, right? Because these texts are all fulfilled in Christ. And, and yet they're also very particular. Right, right. Well... So, you know, because we're all preachers and we're practical, I'm just like, I don't understand exactly what that first part is off the first blush. I'm sure we could do some research. But then I was like, what's the second part? This little refiner's fire. It's about going up and worshiping, all your stuff being purified. And then it talks about um, presents and offerings made to the Lord in righteousness. And then the last verse, then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem. So the two tribes are coming together again, will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old. And so there's like this fine. So whoever is it, the messenger, is it John, is it Jesus? There is this kind of sense in which people are going to be able to worship at the temple um, in a way that's pleasing to the Lord. And I think that that is certainly fulfilled Christologically, that Jesus is the the perfect offering um, that will be pleasing the full righteousness and faithfulness of God. Um, so that is good news to me. Yeah. And I preached something a couple of weeks ago about John. I was saying like, John, like didn't know who he was. He tried to measure himself in light of Jesus, but like he was like, Jesus is great. I I I'm not that great. You know, like he he kind of got a lot right, but also Jesus said John didn't even understand himself. Right. And so oh, it's yeah. interesting when they're when John and, and Jesus says he's the greatest, better than Moses, better than anybody, Elijah, and anybody. And but also who can endure the day of his coming? Not even John. Like John's in prison. Like, is he really the one? Who can endure the day of his coming? Because Christ uh messes with all of our heads and hearts. Mm, Not mm-hmm. to deceive us like like the serpent or something, but to actually lead us into the truth. Like it, it, it it's like when you're playing golfers or, or a sport and you have to change your grip or change a practice that feels so right for so long. And then when you make the change to the right thing, the right thing feels wrong. Mm-hmm. And that's the tough thing about the day of his coming, because when he comes, oftentimes you have to embrace in light of his grace, like some things that are like, oh my gosh, I have to hold the club this way or swing the bat this way or kick the ball with the other foot. Well, just to stay with uh, the sports metaphors, um, not to be so dominated as preachers by masculine sporting metaphors, but I think uh, to two go cisgender, <laughs> two cisgender guys talking sports. That's right. So, but along with that, it's kind of like when you're playing pickup, you're playing, you know, pickup basketball, or maybe you're out, you know, swinging the clubs with some buddies, and you're like, you're looking around at your friends, you're like, dude, I'm pretty good. Like, I'm the best one out here. Like, I'm killing it. These, and then, and then you have like the semi pro who is like, you know, uh, division one basketball player who decides to swing by on that one Saturday and he just dominates you, and you're like, oh, like. I'm not, I'm not all that. And it's kind of like John probably felt that way a little bit. You know, he's kind of on the top of his game for a couple of years. And then it's like, wait, Jesus, uh, how does, how is, how is this wrong? I've 
got fired. I went down, 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 and the flames went higher, and it burns, burns, burns. Clippers, now that we've maximized the difference between Jesus and everybody else, now it's time to minimize the difference. Can I confess something to you right now? Yeah. Scott. I I was preaching years ago at an old boss's church, and I went to the lectionary two weeks in a row, Hebrews. And so I got up and made this joke. And I said, well, you know, Hebrews is not familiar to many people, but it's a book of the Bible. It's kind of complicated. A lot of Old Testament references. But hey, it solves the biggest problem at coffee hour. Who makes the coffee? (laughs) Hebrews. The guys have to do it. And they all died (laughs) laughing. And I thought, I don't know what's worse, that they I made the joke or that they laughed. I just, so... Similarly, you know, just so we're just supp- we're here to supply all of you know all of us preachers here with with jokes. You know how did how did uh, Moses make his tea? Hebrews, 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 Hebrews. All right, Hebrews, Hebrews, Hebrews. Hebrews. But the lead in for me is a lot of people would say, well, Paul, uh, he took the sacrificial system, especially in Romans a little bit in Galatians. He took the sacrificial system and and the law as a way, especially the law. Like the law is this key. Like, how do we understand Jesus as a fulfillment of the law? And people will say the author of Hebrews actually just took the temple complex itself. It took the actual temple. So not the law as this kind of the rules and ordinances, but actually the temple as the key for understanding Jesus. And he just goes through, you know, the priests, the priesthood, the sacrifices, the physical building itself and all. These you know, Carl Bart makes this point in Church Dogmatics 4.1. At the end. What point? The point I just made? Yes. Paint the, great about, of light. Oh, I thought you were about to like. No, no. He just it. said what you said. <laughs> well, I probably got it from him. But the reason I bring that up is because I think it, it, it very much is kind of this this temple. Um, we're, we're in and around the temple the whole time. And uh, Malachi was uh, otherwise, I like to say Malachi, you know, but that's how I say it. Uh, I'm from California. But uh, and then obviously Jesus. <laughs> I don't like Sriracha. I don't like Malachi. <laughs> but, but Jesus is present. You know, attention. someone from The Bachelor just recently, there was a, a scene where they were like, the girl was like, all right, now we're going to wear our lingerie. <laughs> Pray for her, everybody. Lingerie girl. The lingerie. Anyhow, so it's all about the temple. So I was just saying, I'm a one trick pony. I wrote, uh, I would just finish the book, you know, promo again, but I just finished this book all about God's dwelling. So I, in these texts, the, the common theme that I see is this is all happening in and around the temple precincts. It's, you know, it's, it's about God's presence and Hebrews, I think focuses a little bit on that, but it's the body of Christ, you know, which is the temple of Jesus. But this, this text talks about, um, uh, how God's children are saved because Jesus became like the children in flesh and blood so that he could do what? So that he could destroy the power of death or so that through his death, he might destroy the one who holds the power of death. And then it also talks about him becoming a high priest and there's sacrifices. So there's all this temple stuff going on in Hebrews. And there's one big kind of word to trip over there. I don't know if you've located that already. What's the word? I don't know. What do you think the word is? I mean, the word is therefore, because what is it there for? <laughs> no, not that word. Oh, atonement. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. To make a sacrifice of atonement for the sins of the people. So I'm preaching on this text this week. And here's I like, I'm going to lead in with Velasa pastor, which is this great Korean film where this minister gets a superpower to be transformed into a dinosaur. <laughs> and he's like in confession when somebody's real pet and he doesn't eat them. But if somebody's like, oh, well, then I'm, I'm, a, I'm a drug dealer. I'm stringing out prostitutes. He eats them. So I'm going to say I'm not that person. But I think what's interesting is like comic books. I'm a comic book guy. And like you, 
like basically, I think Superman and Batman are both people that you can't identify with because Superman has every power and kryptonite's the artificial weakness and, and Batman has no powers, but he can do more pushups than anybody and get kryptonite. He's the smartest guy in the world. The superhero that I think is, is most incarnational is like Spider-Man because his powers make his life more problematic. He never has money. He never, he's always struggling to get the girl and like the, 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 the superpowers like make him aware of his faults <laughs> And even his, his, he feels guilty about Uncle Ben. Like, all the, this is the kind of thing where, like, I think our superhero comic book stuff is interesting because Christ looks more to me like Spider Man or some, or something like that, or Plastic Man or somebody that's like the off the wall superhero whose powers make him weaker. Mm, mm. Yeah. And that's where, so is that to go to the, with the last verse then that he himself was tested and suffered? Yeah. He was able to, to uh, help those who also have been suffered and tested. Have you seen Into the Spider Verse? I have. Loved wow. it. I mean, Loved that's it. this is this is it. Like the like a fat Spider Man. Yeah, yeah, this is <laughs> fat yeah, retired. This is why Spider Man is the Christ figure, not Batman or Superman. It's Spider Man because mm-hmm. it's 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 a beautiful like I don't know how to work my powers, and I feel like that's also Corinth. That's the church that the author who we don't know is writing to Hebrews or no one knows how to work their superpowers. Neither do you nor I, or we're all struggling to figure out our powers. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's where uh, this is. Some say this outside of Philippians two, that this is actually one of the highest Christological passages in the new Testament, because you have the kenosis um, and the elevation of Christ at the same time, just like in Philippians two. And this is, you know, so Jesus. I always have on this. I always have the highest Christologies. It's the highest <laughs> yeah. on this podcast. Highest I in the best. Have the highest Christologies. <laughs> so Jesus, high priest, the perfect sacrificial atonement, tested and suffered like us. Why is that important, Scott? Flesh and well, blood. Well, atonement like is us. only just. It, the English translation is God with us, literally the old English. And that's like, by the way, did you write a book about this? Does God like me? Yes. It's a, it's yeah. a whole book on God with us. Whenever I tell seminary students what I'm teaching, I was like, atonement is a made up word. Like they made it yeah. up. It, and because, because people used to think, or I even used to think this, that, ato- that the, the catchy way to understand atonement is to break it up. It's at one meant and that so it's like our unification it's at one mint and then i used i used to think like oh that's just a funny way to remember what it means but it actually means something much more sophisticated it's like no that's all they did they just uh, yeah, they, they just they smashed that, like, words that, together what, yeah. that is what it is it's at one mint it's so. a spider-man word Luke 2. So here we are. This is the text. I'm glad I didn't choose to preach on. Like, I do lectionary stuff and, like, I pick one of the three readings because we're in a, during like Lent and, and Advent. Sometimes I do both, you know, two readings. But so I'm on the one reading cycle. And this is one I will, I wouldn't choose to preach on. But Simeon, like this guy who, when they're bringing Jesus to the temple for purification, and Simeon, this guy who God promises, you'll see, I love this phrase, you'll, before you die, you'll see the one, the consolation of all of Israel. 
the consolation, man. I mean, that'll preach. Mm-hmm. But I know why you avoid this text, though. Why? Because it, it talks about the Holy Spirit multiple times. I love this about the Holy Spirit. Uh huh. I'm so, reformed. This is this is where Luke, Luke has uh, the 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 Holy Spirit breaking out in, in uh, chapters remember one and those two. People, the arrival those of the Spirit when Paul comes. Have you who are you baptizing it? And like they say, we've never even heard of the Holy Spirit. Uh-huh. That's the reformed. <laughs> those are the early reformed. They're Acts twenty. They're Acts. They're Acts twenty nine predating. They're like, we've no, no, heard of the Holy we've Spirit. heard of the Holy Spirit, but we didn't know we were supposed to get it or we're supposed to get some of the Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is resting on Simeon and it had been revealed to him by the Spirit that he would not see death before the Lord. And guided by the Spirit, Simeon came into the temple and then he took the son, he prophesied. It's dripping with the Holy Spirit. We need more charismatics. Amen. Hallelujah. But anyways, I think that's why you avoid the text. Yeah, no, I love it. It's a hard text to preach. <laughs> I, I also just think it's so interesting. Like you have this guy that's like looking for something. You know, one of my favorite stories about Carl Bart is one of his last graduate students said like the year before he died or something, he's sitting Christmas Eve looking at the snow in Switzerland. And, and the student says, what are you doing? He says, I'm looking for Jesus. Hmm. And that's faith. Hmm. You know, also uh, Christianity Today, I think, invited him to write for like a couple thousand dollars, which is big that day. Yeah. Okay. That he believed in the second coming of Christ, which he did. He said to the editor in chief, why didn't you just bring 30 pieces of silver? <laughs> what? Yeah, no, but I think like the beauty of Simeon, the consolation of Israel, and also the division. I like, I love the division, the sword cutting to the heart. Cause I think, so everybody in America right now feels like an exile, right? Like, if you're a gun advocate, you think everyone's trying to take your guns away. If you're a gun control person, you think everyone's trying to bring guns in. If you're a conservative, you think government's taking over. If you're a liberal, you think uh, the fascist, that the right wing's taking over. And what Christ does is c- cuts to the heart of like all of our social identity politics. And then after Christ gets through that, right, Christ goes to, well, why do you need that social identity politics? Is that just why you're on the team? Because you don't feel justified in your own self. Like, you know, like in um, in uh, Chariots of Fire, when Eric Little said, talking, is talking with his sister, and she's like, mm-hmm. why don't you just go? He's like, I believe God's made me for a purpose. Mm-hmm. But he's also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. And then later he asks, Harold, Abram, Harold Abrams is asked why he runs. He says, because when that gun goes off, I've got eight, 10 seconds to prove my existence to the world. Mm-hmm. And that's where like, I feel like the sword that Christ is, is a sort of mercy, which cuts through the identity politics. Why does anybody do identity politics? Because in your own identity, you feel like I need to be on a team so I can put somebody down. Mm-hmm. And then once you get sent back in, to the game, you go with compassion and mercy. Oh, man, that's deep. I like that. That's where, I, as you were talking, I, I kind of uh, looked to the Simeon's prophecy that uh, Jesus would be a light of revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. But then right after that, there are these hard words about falling and rising, your your inner thoughts being exposed and your own... It, it's. I've I just been reading a book on uh, God's wrath and kind of how, how do you understand God's wrath? And he's, this guy's making an argument that really the truthfulness of God is the wrath of God that, you know, too often we 
think of of wrath as these kind of external torments and lakes of fire and like you know your skin dripping off even all these things and he says no 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 he says the most painful thing that you can have and the thing that we all avoid is the truth about some area we don't want to look at the truth of our you know sin. my wrath of God images what Woody Allen I feel like he's like here's the thing Scott. He, right, right. Here's, here's, here's what you're not looking at. You do Alec Baldwin on Howard Stern once is like, he's like, what does it happen when Woody calls? Do, do you call him back? And he's like, well, yeah, no, I don't call Woody back. What do you think, Alec? Uh, I, I, I just call Woody Allen. Like, <laughs> hello, you know, like, I, I, hello, is Alec there? Like, he doesn't leave a voicemail for me. Is Alec there? <laughs> Woody Allen, that's my that's my Wrath of God image. Like that sounds kind of nice, actually. Yeah, but it's awful. But it, it's this idea that truth, when you're not prepared for it, burns and hurts. Yeah. But truth, when you're ready to receive it, is actually a blessing. And I think that's what Simeon is doing: is the arrival of Jesus is a blessing, light to the nations, the glory of Israel. But for those who are not ready, it's going to be a scourge. It's going to be a piercing. Yeah. And you, Mary, watch out. You're going to be at both ends of those things. And readiness is also like just uh, surrender, open-handedness yeah. and surrender. And I think uh, it, it, it ends with, um, you know, them going home, back home, you know, and there's then the child grew and became strong and filled with wisdom and favor, you know, and earlier passages, you know, talks about how Mary ponder all these things in her hearts, you know, it, no, it wasn't you. I was talking with someone else, you know, about Mary being the first disciple and all these types of things. And we kind of have to grow in faith kind of the way Mary did. Like yeah. our life cycle is in a sense, seeing Jesus grow before our eyes and not under always understanding why he's doing the things he's doing around us. And we have to continually come to grips with an early promise and the early blessing, but then also the hard words and then, then more blessing. But then also, you know, Jesus, you're a little crazy. You need to tone that down. Let's bring that back. We're going to bring you back into the fold. And Jesus is like, no, right. And we all have to internalize those things. And I, I kind of read this story, you know, from the eyes of the parents, but then also the eyes of, of discipleship, which is, you know, Jesus is coming and he gets announced to us and it's like, oh, that's great. Wait, that sounds really hard. And that's discipleship, the two, those two things. And it's a great, it's nice that we're called and the calling one has everything. Yeah. It's going to feel divisive and struggling. And also the calling one has our back. Amen. Jeff, thanks again. Glad to be here. Please uh, keep inviting me. It's fun. Hopefully it's fun for everyone else. I don't know. You get all the feedback. But hey, thanks for having me. And review Jeff's book on Amazon. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Synaxis Podcast. If you like what you heard, please go to iTunes, give it a rating, write a review, and subscribe. Or pass it along to a friend via email or say something about it on social media. All of those things help so much as we're just getting off the ground. Thanks to Jeff for coming on the podcast and thanks again to you for listening to Sexus. Until next time, friends, fare thee well.